you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, good to be with you here this morning. Um, as Josh said, I found this series really challenging, um, not just conveying and working through these topics and trying to, to balance it between being a, a sermon and a lecture. That's, that's a weird feel in some of these topics. But, but also because I'm having to wrestle myself um, with some of these issues. And that's the case with our topic this morning, which I'll get into in a moment. Um, but it was also the case uh, last week. I wasn't here last week. I was preaching at uh, Sydney on Hill West. But as I listened um, to Peter Adam going through race and reconciliation, and hopefully you were here for that, it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful exposition of, of, of the gospel, really. And, um, and as I was listening to that, and as we met with um, the leadership this week, we were just struck by being one blood, um, all races, you know, one blood in our creation, one blood in the fall, and then one blood in our redemption in Jesus. And, and as Peter went through that, we thought, look, there's probably a little thing, a very little thing that we as a church can do to, to recognize that and to, to seek um, just a, li- a little step to progress that together. So um, I hope this is not controversial. I certainly don't think it is. But on the, the screen, you'll see a slide there. And this is a slide we're going to use now um, cycling through before our services. We're not going to speak to it every week. But this first time, uh, I think just as we respond to God's word, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, this is what it says. We acknowledge the Wadarung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of this land. We pray for God's blessing on all First Nations peoples and for healing in our land. May God unite us all in the knowledge of his son through whom and for whom all things were made. As I said, I don't think that's very controversial, but if you would like to, um, to speak with me about it, by all means, do. But I think that's, that's certainly a prayer and a statement I can make with, with my whole heart. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in to this topic. Um, so let's pray for God's help. Uh, Father, as we come before you this morning, we humble ourselves and we submit our hearts to you. We, we ask that you would be our gentle good shepherd over this topic. This is a hard topic. It's painful. It speaks about death. And we come good shepherd and we thank you that you're with us in the valley of the shadow and that you'll be with us this morning. And we pray that this would be helpful for us. Helpful, um, give us sharp minds to wrestle with some of these things. Give us soft hearts and help us, Lord, to remind and to experience again the joy and wonder of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, there's on the screen a picture of a young woman called Brittany Maynard. Uh, Brittany was 29 years old, on, when on New Year's Day 2014, she just got married a few months before, Uh, She was diagnosed completely to her surprise with uh, terminal brain cancer. She was given by the doctors six months to live. Uh, Brittany Maynard, I think, is is a bit after my own heart. She decided that she would tick off her bucket list in the six months of uh, U.S. national parks. So she she did the Grand Canyon, she did Alaska, she did Yellowstone, she did Yosemite. 
And then she chose November 1st as the day. Uh, she and her husband, Dan, got up nice and early. They went for a morning hike uh, with some family, friends, and their dogs. And she came back and she posted a farewell on social media. Then she mixed the sedative that she'd been given by her doctor and she drank. Uh, for a few minutes, she talked and she joked with her friends and her family and then she fell unconscious. Uh, her husband said this, it truly was the most peaceful experience that you could ever hope for. Contrast Brittany's experience with Andrew Denton's experience. Uh, Andrew Denton, the Australian media personality, um, was with his father, Kit, as he was dying. Uh, this is what Andrew Denton says about that time. Throughout that time, my abiding memory is of these spasms and waves of pain going through his body. It was horrible to watch, and it was horrible to hear. Watching my father die really shocked me. To see the brutality of it, I, I never understood to whose benefit he was kept alive for those extra three days, but it sure as hell wasn't his. Now, compare those two examples with this third one of Francis Inglis. Francis' son, Tom, had been uh, brain damaged after an accident. He was paralyzed, he was doubly incontinent, he was unable to communicate. In 2008, Frances injected her son with a massive overdose of heroin, uh, which ended his life. Uh, Frances was a mother of three. She worked with children and adults who had disability. When she went uh, to court, she said this, I did this with love in my heart. Under the UK law, uh, she was convicted of murder and she was given a life sentence. She was released after serving five years in prison. Those are three stories of real people and real situations. And, and as we come to euthanasia today, we're talking about real people. And, and maybe it's possible that, that this is something that you have struggled with, in, with a family member or a loved one. Maybe this is something that cuts very hard, close to your heart personally. Um, as Josh said, if, if this becomes too difficult, because we're going to dive into this, if it becomes too difficult, please feel free to step out for a little while because we're not going to shy away. We're going to go after this issue. But before we do, we need to just clarify some definitions uh, because it's possible that we can mean different things when we're talking about this issue. So euthanasia is a Greek word. It means literally good death. So euthanasia is the killing of someone without their consent because the alternative of them remaining alive is worse. So for Frances Inglis, that last example, she practiced euthanasia on her son, Tom. Uh, more commonly, though, euthanasia is um, voluntarily requested by the person who is dying. So in Andrew Denton's case with his father, Kit, this is what Andrew Denton wanted for his father, um, a quick mercy killing at the hands of a lethal injection from the doctor. Brittany Maynard's um, case is different again. Uh, this is what we would call voluntary assisted dying, if we support it, or voluntary assisted suicide, if we don't. That is where Brittany Maynard kills herself, but she is enabled to do that because the doctor has given her the drugs or the injection to take 
in our own time. Now, this is a super hot political issue. Um, in Australia, it's a hot issue right as we speak. Victoria here, we were the first state to uh, introduce euthanasia laws in 2017. We set a bit of a, a trend. One state after the other has followed. New South Wales passed um, their euthanasia laws just, I think, two months ago. They're due to come into effect next year. But this is new. Uh, both uh, voluntary assisted dying and euthanasia are still illegal in the overwhelming majority of countries around the world, including the UK and the overwhelming majority of states in the US. Now, what do you think about this issue? I don't know. I mean, some of us have said come with a real, we've had to grapple with it personally. Others of us come with kind of instinctive responses. And for me, I'll be completely honest, my instinctive response has always been sympathetic towards the case for euthanasia. And I'll tell you why. Because um, I feel like... I know I'm going to die sooner or later, that, that's, that's going to happen, and I know that when I die, I'm going to go to meet Jesus, so why would I want to prolong the suffering and the pain that goes along with dying, you know, and if I, want, if I wouldn't want to do that for myself, isn't it kind of very uncompassionate to want to do that for someone else and make them prolong their suffering and dying? But while I've been instinctively supportive of euthanasia, I've also known that Christians throughout history, throughout history, almost without exception, have been advocates against euthanasia. And when that's the case, and with a hot issue like this, it's not the only one, where my own instincts seem to run contrary to thousands of years of Christian witness, guided by the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word, moving through his church, then I go, hang on, I need, humility says I need to be very careful and I need to be very considered before I would go against 2,000 years of faithful Christian witness by arriving at a different conclusion. G.K. Chesterton said this, and this has been ringing in my ears as I did the research for this topic. G.K. Chesson said, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. All right, we're going to look at why that fence was put up, and we're going to examine these issues. I don't want it to be a lecture, right? This is, this is, I'm preaching God's word, but this, this is a different scenario. So I need to give you some information, and then we're going to end with what I hope is, is gospel. But before we dive in, we've got to get some mud out of the water, right? These waters are muddy, and um, the first bit of mud we need to get out of the water is prolonging life at any cost is not what we're talking about. We are not talking about, no, you've got to leave the, the, the life support machine on. That's not what we're talking about at all. Turning off the life support machine is not euthanasia. Letting a terminal illness take its course is not euthanasia. They're very, very different things. So the Australian uh, Christian doctor, Megan Best, she puts this very well, and uh, I'm gonna, this is a bit of an extended quote, but it's worth me reading to you because this is her expertise. She says this, Sometimes treatments at the end of life either stop working, they become futile, or the burden of side effects such as nausea and vomiting can rule out any benefits by way of extra time. In such a situation, the treatment may not be prolonging life as much as prolonging the process of dying. See what she's saying here? Stopping such treatment is an ethical choice. It's not euthanasia. 
Because the aim is not to kill the person, but to allow the underlying disease to run its course. When we're talking about euthanasia, we're not talking about that, right? So let's get that mud out of the water, and now we can dive in. So what, what are the main arguments that, you know, the Western world has been flipping very quick, quickly only in the last decade? What are the main arguments for changing this, for taking away the fence, as G.K. Chesterton put it? Well, the main argument that you hear all the time in the press is suffering and pain. Um, that's Andrew Denton's argument. Um, and the point, I suppose, the, it seems compelling. And the argument is, if someone is suffering and there's no hope of their recovery, then put them out of their misery. And underlying this is the idea that, look, life is meant to be enjoyed. That's when it's meaningful, when you can enjoy life. If you've got crippling, chronic pain that's not going away and you've got a terminal diagnosis, well, your life has really become meaningless. So you should have the freedom to end it yourself. But for the Christian, it's, you know, what is the, the purpose of our life? Is it to enjoy ourselves? For a Christian, it's quite different. For a Christian, the Westminster Confession famously puts it, the purpose of, of our lives is to love God and to enjoy Him forever. So suffering and pain um, is part of our world. As Christians, we should work to alleviate it, get rid of it if we can. We should pray that God would take it away. But suffering and pain in our life, it's not meaningless. Um, it's actually meaningful. It's only meaningless if you believe that this world is here by random chance and that you're just a collection of cells and, and, and these cells are just dissolving, coming to the end of life, that's it, you're gone, there's nothing else. Then, yes, you go, okay, my, my suffering is, is, is meaningless. Just, I want it over with. But for the Christian, suffering is never meaningless, it's meaningful. Because we have a God of love. We have a Father who cares for us. And He looks after us, even in our suffering. And sometimes, very often, He uses our suffering. Um, even this past 10 days, uh, Pete Taylor, one of our pastors here, was able to, to get a call from a man who had been very resistant to the gospel his whole life. Uh, he was suffering a terminal illness, and the, the call came through. Can you visit in hospital. And Pete Taylor visited him in hospital in the last week of his life, and this man gave his heart completely and unreservedly to the Lordship of Jesus. You can see there, there was a purpose in that suffering. Brittany Maynard closed that door herself on that opportunity forever by seeking to avoid her suffering. But you might say to me, it's a fair call, Andrew, all right, we're Christians, most of us, um, if you're not, you're so welcome, if you're listening, you're so welcome as we engage this, but most of us are Christians, and how could we impose this on someone else? Because we know that life and suffering is meaningful in God's sovereign camp, but what about the people that don't? How can it be compassionate for you Christians to try and want to prolong people's life when they don't want to continue anymore? Um, but the reality is that this argument of suffering and chronic pain at the end of life, meaning that hey, we need to have euthanasia, it's actually never been the main argument for euthanasia. In fact, at the very time when the, the campaign has been, has been in Australia and other nations to, to introduce euthanasia laws, is the same time that medicine has made such huge advances that actually pain and suffering and death, it, it is less than it has ever been before, ever. 
And this is because of something called palliative care. Uh, palliative care, uh, you, you may know, it's, it's, it's care that's not aimed at, prolonging, at um, curing someone's disease. Palliative care is aimed at, at managing the pain and allowing the person who is suffering a terminal illness to live, as, um, to live in the time that they have in a fruitful and positive way. And it has made massive advances. Um, the, the, the stats kind of vary a little bit, you know, but there's a, there's a consensus that as many as 94% of people who now die in palliative care have almost no pain. 94%, it's very high. So if, in fact, and we know that the um, pain is not the main reason because in, in the US states where they've got euthanasia, Washington and Oregon in particular, they've been keeping statistics on this saying why is someone seeking voluntary euthanasia uh, or assisted suicide? And the, the issue of pain, it's like way down the list. It, it's like the fourth most reason given. It's a minority of all cases of assisted suicide say that pain is, is an issue. So, if it's not pain, um, not the major pain, the major argument for most people, then what is the argument for euthanasia? What's the main one? Interestingly, it's always the same. Anyone know what it is? It's autonomy. Always the main argument in, in Washington and Oregon, by far the number one reason that's giving. And the issue, if, if, it boils down to, if I can't live independently anymore, I haven't got the autonomy to do what I need to do with my life when I need to do it. My life is no longer worth living. Anyone seen A Million Dollar Baby? No one's seen that movie. You should see it. It's a Clint Eastwood movie about the female boxer. And it's, it's heartrending. It's the story of this female boxer who's, who's made, I think, a quadriplegic because of a boxing accident in the ring. And and it's her struggle with, with, um, with wanting to go on living, or not wanting to go on living, actually. It's a powerful movie. It's, it's, it's looking at this actual issue of autonomy. Um, and and if, you, if you see The Million Dollar Baby, as I did, you, you'll go away at the end and go like, how could we not allow this woman to commit suicide now that she's lost all of her autonomy? But the question that, that comes is a deeper question, and... This is a fundamental question about the whole euthanasia debate, is whose life is it? Your life, whose is it? You say, what's my life? Um, Vaughan Roberts says, for most people, they go like, look, it's my life, it's my death, and it's my choice. My life, I choose when that life ends. No one else should tell me. It's my life, mine, and I will choose. But this, this is where this whole debate runs against the scriptures and runs against the Bible because in scripture, your life is not your own. Your life is not yours. Um, the sixth commandment in the Bible says, you shall not murder. One of the 10 commandments. And throughout scripture, um, there's a principle that runs from Genesis through to Revelation and that is that God is responsible for your life. He gave it to you. It's a gift from him. And your life and your days, your living and your dying, are in his hands, not yours. Only God has the right to take your life away. Um, Deuteronomy 32 verse 39 says this. See now that I myself am he. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> is it clicking, is it? Oh, thanks, Andrew. Is that better? Oh, good. 
don't say too close to my mouth. Is that better? Sorry, guys. I could hear it too. It was a, that's much better. Thank you, Andrew. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 39 says, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. So historically, suicide has always been seen as a sin for the Christian. It's not the greatest sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. But it's been seen as a sin because it's a, it's a sinful choice to take matters into our own hands, to appear before God ahead of time, unbidden. Uh, but someone who's not a Christian again could say, well, that's your view. Don't oppose it on me. It's my autonomy. If I've lost that autonomy, then I deserve the right to end my own life. But even if we take God out of this and we consider that argument for autonomy, none of us are autonomous beings. Uh, John Donne once said, no man's an island. None of us. None of us are autonomous. You and I, what we do impacts a community. It impacts people in our lives. And it's the same with assisted suicide. So, okay, I come from, I'm a, I'm a military veteran. Um, our, my demographic is one of the highest for suicide in Australia. Now, now what do we do with, with veterans who have lost their autonomy because of, of war wounds sustained in combat? Um, well, what we do is things like the Invictus Games, and they've got a slide there. We try to say to these people, you've lost your autonomy, but that doesn't mean that you, you've lost your life because you're part of a community. We, we don't want you to end your life because that impacts others around you. And it's the same with um, assisted suicide. We're not an island. We're not autonomous. Um, anyone's assisted death impacts those around them and usually in a very negative way. And, and we recognize as a society that the compassionate thing is not to help someone who's struggling with autonomy kill themselves. It's actually to help them go on in their lives. And, and this, is, this is personal, because I know this will touch some of us. The reality is, even as Christians, our lives are up and down, right? We're not always on this massive high, like one massive worship service. We're just pumped. It's not like that. It, we go up and down. And sometimes, for a Christian as for a non-Christian, our lows can be pretty low. And, and we can think, I think suicide might be the best option. And, and just because you're a Christian doesn't eliminate that desire. But, but what we do, for, for not just for Christians, but, but for everyone, is to go, that's not a good solution. We've got lifeline, we've got counseling, we've got other ways, and we want people to say, no, this can turn around. Now you feel down here, but it can turn. You're not, you're not always going to stay down here. There's a chance to turn around. So the, the question of autonomy, actually, it's very self-focused. It's very self-directed. Um, but closely linked with autonomy is the second most reason that's given for suicide in Oregon and Washington. It's very similar. That's the loss of human dignity. Um, as people, we now live longer lives. Uh, the advances in medical science has meant that the, the lifespan keeps increasing. But the corresponding side of that is now one in three people will now get um, some form of dementia over the age of 70. That's high. And, and this argument goes like, well, when I start to lose my capacity to think, when I can't remember anything anymore, um, when I'm totally dependent on someone else to do all the basic functions of my life, 
then my human dignity is gone. I don't want to be in that position. As the atheist philosopher Nietzsche, he summed it up. He said, I want to die proudly when it's no longer possible to live properly. Uh, Brittany Maynard said that was her reason. She didn't want to go through the indignity of, of, of having to depend on other people. Um, this can seem compelling, can't it? Particularly if we're younger. You go like, imagine that. Or probably if we're older too, it's becoming closer. It's a compelling argument. But what does it say about our humanity? I'll tell you what it says. This is what um, Australia's most dangerous export via nun, um, Peter Singer, the uh, professor of bioethics at Princeton University. Uh, this is the way he puts it. Once the religious mumbo-jumbo surrounding the word human has been taken away, we will not regard as sacrosanct the life of every member of our species, no matter how limited its capacity for intelligence or even conscious life may be. Peter Singer goes on to advocate for non-voluntary euthanasia. Uh, he goes on to, for, for those with low cognitive function, for dementia, the mentally, physically disabled, but also for abortion and for infanticide. Because when you follow his logic through, a little baby doesn't have those cognitive things of human dignity. If you've changed nappies for your kids, you know. Now, I'm not saying that every advocate for euthanasia follows Peter Singer's argument. But his logic is sound. And this is, interestingly to me, why... Who do you think are the biggest advocates against assisted suicide? Christians? No. Who is the biggest advocates in society against assisted suicide? Think of the logic. Who do you think it might be? Disability advocacy groups. They see the logic. They feel the logic. And, and for many of people who, are, who are, are very disabled, they hear Peter Singer talk about, yeah, of course people have got the rights to, to end their lives in assisted suicide. And then they think, well, the human dignity of a disabled person is, is less in many cases than these people. who. So can you see why they're concerned about it? And they should be concerned about it. But this is one of the points where the Bible is so beautiful. You, you read Peter Singer and, and say, your humanity is dependent on something that you have, your mind or your, your, your physical capacity to look after yourself. That makes you human. No, it doesn't. You're not just a collection of human cells in, and then it's all mumbo, religious mumbo-jumbo that makes you a human. No. The Bible's response is so different. Genesis 1, this is the foundational reading for this whole series, I think. It says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. Every single human being, the Bible insists, is created in the image of God. That is the person who's just won the Nobel Prize for physics. And the person that who is in a wheelchair, unable to even lift their hands. This is the, the Olympic athlete who gets the gold medal and the little child that can't even help themselves. They're created in the image of God. Uh, C.K. Chesterton, and, and this quote makes me cry because I think he really sums this up. Think of Peter Singer on one hand and G.K. Chesterton. Listen to this. People are equal in the same way pennies are equal. Some are bright, others are dull. Some are worn smooth, others are sharp and fresh, but all are equal in value, for each penny bears the image of the sovereign. Each person bears the image of the king of kings. Isn't that beautiful? 
in a world that says that your humanity is, is what you do or who you are, Christians have the truth that our humanity is God-given. Our value is God-given, and it's an inalienable. But maybe the third most common reason that people give for assisted suicide in Washington and Oregon, I think is maybe the saddest. It's being a burden on other people. People who, who come, they said, I'm going to be a burden on others. And I don't want to be a burden on others. And look, these last six weeks, I've had a tiny little sense of what it is to be a burden on others with a broken leg. Honey, could you get me a cup of tea? Could you do this? And you, you feel helpless. You feel like you're, that's a tiny sense. And it must be extraordinarily magnified for a person with, with very serious injuries or disability or, or going through terminal illness. It's a real thing. Um, but the more that we normalise this kind of euthanasia debate, uh, the more we say that it's acceptable to kill yourself, can you see the problem that comes from this? It's already difficult. People already feel that they can be a burden. And then there's this talk of society normalising it, pushing it. It's a referred pressure. Uh, l- listen to, to what the way one writer puts it. He's right. It says, if it's acceptable for someone with a terminal diagnosis to kill themselves, it's not long before what is acceptable shifts to becoming good and even right. And before long, instead of doing everything we can to save and care for life, even those with terminal conditions, we start expecting them to euthanize themselves. After all, it's a rational choice. Now, you might go, Andrew, that's, that's a bit of a long bow to draw, isn't it? That there's this kind of referred pressure? I don't think so. Now, you have to say it's certainly true that when euthanasia laws are introduced wherever they have been around the world, they're always introduced with very strong safeguards. That's what happened here in Victoria in 2017. Very strong safeguards. It's true of Oregon, um, all of those places. But it's universally true that everywhere that euthanasia laws have been introduced, those safeguards are eventually eroded. So true of Oregon, California, Canada, and most obviously the Netherlands and Belgium, where assisted dying has been legal for decades. And the reason for this is because if you say that voluntary assisted suicide is okay in some situations, then to say it's not okay in other situations is completely arbitrary. You're just drawing an arbitrary line and people see that, that logic and they go, well, if it's okay for this, it should be okay for that. And then gradually the lines start to shift. Um, a Catholic archbishop called um, Archbishop Fisher, he put this really well. He says, if the suffering of some people is to be resolved by killing them or assisting them to kill themselves, why not the chronically but not the terminally ill? The mentally but not the physically ill? Those unable to uh, consent because they're unconscious, too disabled or infants. Why restrict the mercy to dying consenting adults? And that's exactly what's happened in the Netherlands. So it began with initial safeguards. At the moment, in the Netherlands, you can request and receive assisted voluntary suicide if you are going through mental illness. If, you have, if you're a young person who's been the subject of sexual assault, you can go to the doctor and get the drugs and kill yourself. Um, children can request and receive voluntary assisted suicide. Babies under the age of one can be euthanized by their parents. 
The Netherlands Parliament at the moment, right now, is debating a law which is going to extend euthanasia to this point if they meet only one condition. You know what that condition is? That they feel that their life is no longer meaningful. That's the condition. So everybody here may at one stage feel your life is no longer meaningful. You go to the doctor and you receive the drugs and you kill yourself in the Netherlands. But that's even what is even more concerning in the Netherlands is that each year there are 300 non-voluntary suicides. Now, what would we normally call a non-voluntary suicide? Murder. That's what you call it. Like, and in, in the Netherlands, they conduct surveys of doctors that have to be anonymous. Each year, there are 300 responses saying, yes, we, could, we did non-voluntary euthanasia. Um, take, for example, in 2017. This is, this is one that made the press. You can probably see on, on the headlines there, I'll tell you if you can't. Um, an elderly woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness. At the beginning of the illness, she said, yes, I want assisted voluntary suicide. And so she spoke to her family. Family said, yes, okay. You know, they, they got the, the legal approval. However, as her illness progressed, she changed her mind. Said, I don't want this anymore. And the family were frustrated. They went like, come on, you know, we've sorted all this out. Why are we revisiting this again? And maybe brackets, there's some property that's involved in this. I don't know, but something's going on. And, and, the, and the woman says, no, I don't want it anymore. And the family said, well, we want it for you. So what happens is they bring the doctor in and they say to the old lady, okay, you know, it's time. And she says, I don't want this. And so the doctor gives her a sedative in her coffee. She drinks the sedative because she doesn't know it's there. And then she realizes what they're doing and she's screaming out, no, 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 I don't want this. And the female doctor says to the family, hold your mother down and your, and your grandmother down while I inject her with this lethal injection. I'm not exaggerating, read the article. And what is even more disturbing is that case goes to the, the, the Dutch courts and the doctor is cleared of murder, not guilty. You're just following the laws that we have in the Netherlands for assisted suicide. That's murder. The slope here is always slippery. Once you shift the fence, and you might not know what it's there for, there is no fence. Or the boundary of it becomes increasingly loose. So what are we Christians to do with this? In a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to take some questions. You can see how complicated this issue is and how difficult it is, but some questions. So first, implications for us as Christians, right? And I, think, I don't think these are hugely controversial. Number one, we need to pray for our doctors and our medical, for people in the medical profession. We've got a bunch in our church because, yes, the Bible is clear. There is a Christian position, and I now... For the first time since in my life, after doing left and right, I now know why the fence was there. I, I, I may be instinctively sympathetic, but now I go, no way, this is not good. So, but Christians, we need to pray for our doctors because there are questions around the end of life that are still gray. There's still questions of like, when is too much morphine or, or when turning off life support? These are really difficult questions. The issue as a whole may be a straight line kind of issue, but there's a lot of complexity in the way it's implemented. We should pray and support our medical profession people. It's a wonderful job they do. I've really come a whole new sympathy for it whenever I go to hospital. Um, but we need to pray for them and support them. Secondly, now look, the law has already changed in Victoria in 2017. That, that ship has sailed. Um, the fence for 2,000 years is gone. What's the best strategy 
politically? I don't know. I think it really comes down to what, what you think would be effective, what, what, your, what before God you feel would be a right place for this. But what I do know is that all of us should, um, even if we can't change the laws, be on our guard about them slipping, because they will slip. There's already proposals in Victoria for those laws to, to start stepping back only five years since they're introduced. And we as Christians need to be aware of that. We've seen what happens in the rest of the world. If we can't stop the laws, then let's, let's advocate for them not slipping further down the float, slope, because what happens there impacts people, which w- people who are created in God's image, people that we need to care for. Third, and this is really obvious, I think, we need to promote palliative care. Uh, Palliative care should not just be an option for someone who's got great medical insurance or or a nice bank balance or property that can be... This should be something that every Victorian, every Australian, as they reach the end of life, can receive. I I don't know if you've ever visited someone in palliative care. I have. It's it's quite beautiful. A wonderful way of, of minimizing pain, loving people, as they move into the next stage of, of eternity, whether they're Christian or they're not Christian. Palliative care is something Christians should be, and it's wonderful that so many doctors in palliative care are Christians. It, that's a good thing. Fourthly, it's a bit closer to home. We've got to make sure as the church community that we care for the sick and the vulnerable and the elderly. Now, this is, this, this is hard because... Churches, there's, there's always more that you, you feel needs to be done than you can ever do as a church. It constantly feels like there's, there's more demands. But, but the reality is that Christians have always done this. And, and it may, uh, there's, a, there's a good story. Nicky Gumbel tells a story about, um, in, I think it was outside his church in London. He was the founder of the Alpha Course, which running soon. And, and they had someone out there who was actually, I think, um, an alcoholic and, and who was needing help. And uh, this lady came and she said, like, I've been to the church leadership so many times about this situation. The church should do something about this. And so, so what I did is I went out and I actually helped this person and, and I got them into a clinic and I, I've, I've made a relationship with them, but the church should do something. And uh, Nikki Gumbel said, it looks like the church just did. <laughs> so there, there is a sense, right, where we can't just handball it and go, the church needs to do this. We are the church, Right. So we need to care for those in our midst who are terminally ill and and not just, oh, the pastors need to be visiting this person every week. That's a good thing. But that we need to be thinking, how can we? And I think we do it pretty well. But it is an area we need to be aware of. And we also need to be aware of supporting the carers. Uh, When I was talking with Dan and my wife about this, she was saying like, yeah, like there's people in our church who are caring for people, not just terminal illness, but with disability and other things. You know, and look for ways of, of reaching out and helping them, she said. She's right. You know, maybe, can I bring you a coffee? Can I, can I bring you a meal? Is there some way I can give you respite? That's a Christian response, yeah. And fourthly and finally, and then we'll, we'll take some questions. This is a word to someone who maybe right now feels that their life is not worth living. And this might not be because you have a terminal illness, but it might just be that you're wrestling with suicide. You maybe feel you're a burden, you maybe feel that the best years of your life are behind you, 
You maybe feel that you, you should be full of joy and happy as a Christian if you are a Christian, but you feel a weight of heaviness. Maybe, maybe there's depression and darkness. This topic brings those kind of things to the surface, and I want it to be in a helpful way for you. And if that is you, you're not the first. Read Joe and his experiences. He's pretty frank with his desire for assisted suicide. <laughs> He's very frank. The psalmist, there are so many cases where the psalmist in the book of Psalms goes, I wish I'd never been born. Why did I get through here? This is not, thankfully, it's not the reality for most of us all of the time, but it's the reality for some of us some of the time. And if that is you, these feelings are not something to be ashamed of. You're not the only one that you have them, that might have them. But you should ask for help. Um, speak to one of us as a church. Um, Lifeline and other wonderful organizations can, can seek to get alongside you. But what you need to realize, and what we each need to realize in the bigger issue as well, is death is not the answer. Good death. No. Death is not good. Death's evil. It wasn't this way in the beginning. Death is, is a parasite on our existence that wasn't there to begin with. Death is not a friend, it's an enemy who, who rubs in our faces the reality that we are separated from God, living in a broken world that's full of tears. And what's incredible to me in the incarnation, by that I mean in Jesus Christ becoming a man, is that he entered this world of death. And what's so beautiful in this, and this is the gospel, the good news, is think about how Jesus confronted his death, a death on behalf of other people. There was no palliative care for Jesus. Think of his loss of autonomy, physically loss of autonomy as they nailed him to a tree. Think of the loss of his personal dignity, unable to do anything, hanging naked. No loincloth, naked, before a mocking crowd. Jesus' death is, though, the good death. It's the only good death. That's why we call it Good Friday. Because Jesus' death changes everything about death. The Bible says that when Jesus died... He takes all of our brokenness and our weaknesses, including our depression and our wrestling with wanting to, to live or, or feeling the pressure to end our lives. He takes all of it on his shoulders. The Bible says that when Jesus died, we die with him. If you're a Christian, you have died with Christ. And therefore, Paul says, if you died with him, you're raised with him. When the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ comes forward, he tramples all over death on the way out. <laughs> it's beautiful. The tomb is opened. Paul says death has had its sting pulled. It's still there, but it's lost its power. And death is the last enemy, and Jesus Christ has defeated it. So no matter how we feel in this veil of tears, you know, whether we're someone who just goes like, I can't believe how someone could wrestle with suicide. How could they ever think that? That's terrible. I never feel like that. If that's you, wonderful. But for many of us, it's not the case. But death has been defeated. And there, come, there will come a time, and that revelation speaks of it, when death will be no more. There will be no more weeping or crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things will have gone for good. 
So this morning as I end, I, I want to end in hope. This is a real issue. It's, it's personal. It's not always clear. But it's a real issue. And we as Christians have the most wonderful hope, the most wonderful future. We have the answer to death. And it's not us, but it is our Lord Jesus Christ, the one we want to know and make known. The one who said, for God, well, God said, for God loved the world so much, he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. It's good news. Well, let's pray. Our musicians are going to lead us, or have we? No, we're going straight into Q&A, aren't we? Thank you. So I'll pray for us, and then um, we'll have a couple of moments to, to discuss. I hope we'll find if we've got some questions come in, and then we'll We'll move on. Let's pray. Father, we really um, ask for your guidance in, on this issue. I don't have all the answers. And I don't think any of us do. It's, it's so hard when we confront the exceptions, the difficult situations. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who, because we have died with Jesus, would live our lives caring for the least of these, knowing that, that even in this world of suffering, there is an answer, it's a solution, it comes in Jesus. And because of that, that we might be lights to the world in which we live on this issue and others. So we pray for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.